Good morning, Eastside family and friends. So glad you joined with us online today. We're going to kind of uh, keep going along in our, our series that is uh, addressing some of the social and cultural events and, uh, of the day and uh, what God's Word does and how it gives us solutions uh, as a church to begin to help bring healing and help to our nation. Uh, one of the things that I've been doing all week and, 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 for, and for weeks really is, is really trying to communicate and listen to people that grew up differently than I do. I want to encourage you. If you've got people around you at work and people that you know, friends, um, that you can engage in, in conversation, not, 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 on, uh, not on social media, but engage in real-life conversations. And just begin to discuss with them without trying to argue or be right or wrong. Just listen to their take on, on how they came to some of the conclusions that they're coming to and what their life experiences are so that you, know, you have somewhat of a feel of what it's like to, to walk in somebody else's shoes. Very important. Very important that we do that, that we have lines of communication from people that come from different backgrounds. And uh, as we do, it helps us to, to see that, that everybody's going to be coming to Scripture from a different place. And as we do that, we've got to understand and believe that the solution lies in God's Word. This week I got a text message that stirred this message today. And it said this, it said, I just want to say that I'm so thankful for this season. As heavy as it is, never have I found myself so lost without the Lord and his leading. I don't want to speak unless he says speak or to move unless he is moving. Never have I ever found myself in the word more all day than I am now. It is literally like my life depends on it. I need him. I hunger for him, and I find him. Things are messy, but it is well with my soul, and I am grateful for it. There's a place of hope in the Word of God that we need to lean in on, that we need to press toward as we try to, as a church, begin to respond to what our culture faces. One of the things that I just want to talk about today is it's the, the failure of the church in the past to represent the Lord well, to actually, actually carry out the things that are listed in Scripture well, emulate it well to our culture. And so what I want to do is I want to start with Isaiah chapter 55, and I'm going to read verse 6 through 11, because I believe, I believe, like this, like this uh, text said is that there's a dependence on the Lord that is necessary for us to actually come through this thing looking good, to be right, to be righteous in, in our actions. It says this, it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. He wants to be found right now. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. The Lord will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth 
and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the hearer. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing that it was sent for. That it was sent for. And so here we stand, and here we are in this day that we're looking to something that can that we can all stand on, something that is the plumb line that's in the hand of God, and that is the Word of God. And as we as we open it up, as we discover it, as we learn from it, as we learn about ourselves, as we learn the places that others are coming toward the Word of God from, we all can make application and we all can unify around this, that it is the Word of God, it's the ways of God, it's the thoughts of God that actually have the ability to bring healing and health. So the first thing that I want us to understand is that the Word of God has authority over sin. No matter how we got off track, no matter how the hurt and the pain came into our lives or our thinking got swayed or our way got swayed, God's Word has authority over that sin. His ways aren't ours, and His thinking is different than ours. Matter of fact, we're going to define some some words, some attributes of God, some verbs that describe God and that God uses to encourage the church to respond to, to the culture around it. And when we define those words, what we're going to discover is that our definition of those words actually means something different to each person and, and, and certainly different from how God intended them uh, to uh, impact our lives and how we are to respond to it and respond to the ways of God. Another thing that we need to know, the second thing that we need to understand about, about Scripture and the Gospel is that, is that uh, the Gospel uh, is the message that, that all justice was served at the cross. That, that, that the punishment of sin, the wages of sin is death. And, and anything that sin causes was put to death at the cross for anyone who who comes to Jesus. And so so everything Jesus did at, uh, at the cross uh, was had to do with bringing justice to the thing that separates us from the Father. He paid it all. He he even said that this 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 payment is finished. Yeah. It's finished. Past, present, future. So so we need to discover the third thing, and that is this. And this is where I think the failure has occurred in years past. When, when we see some of the issues that we face, when we see how the church has responded, there hasn't been a longevity in a unifying ideology that, that comes around and actually carries out its appointed purpose, the church's appointed purpose, and that is... We are held responsible by God to appropriate the word of God, to appropriate the work of the cross to a culture. We, we are to recognize the fact that we don't have to walk in fear, that, that, that our hope is in the cross and the ability of the cross to, to reconcile us to the Father so that, so that he can pour his spirit out on us, 
so that we can begin to emulate and appropriate the kingdom of God in our culture. Our hope is in things that we don't see. You know, our hope and our faith are in, are in the realities of God, in the ways of God that we don't see appropriated in a culture. And the church's responsibility is to appropriate the work of God in a nation. So we've got to make sure that we take this time, this, this, this season that the Lord may be found, this season that, that he is near, that we call upon him and we put our faith and our hope in the word of God. So, so how do we do that? How do we put that into practice? How are we to be examples to, to the flock? And, and, and uh, Peter, Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 5, 3. He says, I don't want you to be lords over those that, that are, are in your influence, but be examples to those people. Be examples to, the, to the, your sphere of influence. And, and how do you do that is you carry out the passage of Scripture that Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17. He, 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 he encourages the church, the elect of God, uh, in verse 12 through 17. He says this, Therefore, as the elect of God is the one chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, Meekness, meekness is power under control, long-suffering, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against you, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And so we are to be examples of the flock. In other words, we are to do the same thing that Christ did, and he forgave you and me even when we didn't deserve forgiveness. And so no matter, no matter what we face, no matter uh, the, the challenges that we have, what God instructs the church to do, those that call upon his name, he gives many uh, verb action steps to emulate in front of people. Let me go on with verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful, be thankful. And hymns and spiritual songs singing, be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There we go, got it, excuse me. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, and songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do, whatever you do, that's, a, that's an important word, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, do all as a representative of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so there's some words there in that, in that uh, passage that I want to talk about. The first one is humility. He, he, says, he says to put on humility. Humility. Now, when you study humility, it it um, it might have a little different meaning than what you would normally uh, attach to humility. It actually means modesty or lowliness or humble-mindedness. It's a sense of moral insignificance and a humble attitude of unselfish concern 
for the welfare of others. Do you see the action in this? It is a sense of moral insignificance and a humble attitude of unselfish concern for the welfare of others. And, and, and Christ, through Paul, is writing to the church and saying, you put this on. You put this on. He says, he goes, it goes on to uh, uh, talk about humility. It is a total absence of arrogance, conceit, or haughtiness. The word's a combination of tapinios, or being humble, of mind. The word was unknown in cla classic non-biblical Greek only by abstaining from self and uh, aggrandizement, which is, I had to look it up, the act of making oneself more important or powerful or wealthy. It's the, it's the abstaining from that self aggrandizement that we can be members of the of the church and emulate Christianity in a community and maintain unity and harmony with one another. And so and so humility is to be put on. It is something that we are to walk in as a church. We are to be mindful with an unselfish attitude concerned for the welfare of others. The second word I want to look at is the word kindness. God's kindness, it says in Romans chapter 2, is what leads to repentance. That's what it says in the King James, the New King James Version. In the ESV and the NLT, it actually has the idea of this. It says, it says that it's the kindness of God that was intended to lead you to repentance. And so, and so this this, this attribute of Christ, this attribute of God, this, this unmerited favor, this undeserved favor from God, this love poured out on the cross by the Father as Jesus laid down his life for all, this, this kindness of God, the, the whole act, the whole act, the whole, the, the, in its wholeness was so, supposed to lead you to repentance as you as you see that and if we compare philanthropist and philanthropology which is love for mankind it is hospitable acts of kindness readiness to help it means human influence <coughs> benevolence and taking thought for others the word is is a compound of Philos, which is love, and anthropos, which is man, the love for man. It is used to describe God's loving kindness toward men. Again, you've got this action that goes with it, that you cannot be kind without being ready to help. You can't be kind without being focused on human friendship. You can't be kind without being benevolent toward and taking thought toward others. So we are to put on humility. We are to put on kindness. We are to be a merciful entity. We, as the church, are to be merciful. God is merciful, and he requires the church to be filled <coughs> with mercy. Excuse me. So what does merciful mean in the Greek? It comes from the word 
Elimon, and uh, it's related to words Elio, to have mercy, and Elios, <coughs> which is an active comparison. And Elimosun, which is a comparison for the poor. So, it is a kind, compassionate, sympathetic, merciful, and sensitive word combining tendencies with action. A person with this quality finds outlets for his merciful nature. In other words, you're looking for outlets to be merciful. It is compassionate. It's sympathetic. It's a sensitive word combining a tendency with actions. God was merciful toward us. His mercy is new every morning. This, this attribute of God is full for you and me every day. And he's calling the church to, to respond with mercy. And we've got to do that. We've got to do that well. And then, and then I want to talk about forgiveness. God forgives us when we never deserved it. God forgive. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so there's this, there's this aggressive act of God that he requires us to respond to as well. You know what he says? He says, he says forgive those who persecute you. He says, to forgive those who wrongfully accuse you. He says, forgive your enemies. He says, love your enemies. Take it a whole other step. Not only forgive them, but love them. And then he even says, you know, it's, it's even, the, even the heathen love those who love them. But a believer, but a Christ follower, they have to be, they have to be out front. They have to be forgiving before forgiveness is even being asked for. So let's look at what the word forgiving means. It comes from the word charismio. And that charismio, that's it. <laughs> These Greek words are tough. You do it. You do it. <laughs> so, so what does it mean? Well, it means to do a favor or to show kindness unconditionally. It means to show kindness unconditionally or to favor, do a favor somebody. Give freely, to grant forgiveness, to forgive freely. The word is from the same root word as charis. That means grace. It's, grace is God's power working in our circumstances that does more than we can do on our own. And so this word forgiveness is something that you can release into something that actually has the ability to bring change. Now, so let's just read Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 17 again, as we are commanded by Paul as the church to get this right. We have an opportunity to get this right. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, say that with me, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against you, even as Christ forgave you before you deserved it, you forgive them. You've got to do the same. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, hearts to which also we are called in one body 
and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do all representing who he is, giving thanks to God through the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this as a church, the church family at Eastside Church and the church across the nation, the thing that we've got to get right is emulating these attributes of God. The call of Paul to the church at Colossae was to respond this way. And the church has an opportunity today to do the same. We failed in the past. We've been accusational. We've been argumentative. We've been prejudiced. We've, 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 we, uh, we allow the world system to influence us versus the word of God. And we've got to get this right. We've got to stand on the word of God. Lastly, I want to talk about real quickly. I want to talk about what Jesus did and how he modeled servanthood. The last thing God asked us to do right before Jesus is crucified, right before he takes the Passover uh, supper with his disciples, right before he goes into the garden, he, he washes his disciples' feet and he becomes a servant. But the word servant means this. It means to bind. The word donates one in bondage to or subject to another. And it's usually translated slave or servant. Often the service involved is voluntary in which a person willingly offers obedience, devotion, and loyalty to another. Subordinating his will to him. The word is used of natural conditions and metaphorically to describe servants of Christ. It also is used metaphorically to, 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 uh, to describe corruption and evil in other places. Um, but it, it, is, it is there to um, help us understand that we are to voluntarily subject ourselves to one another. Uh, in John chapter 13, Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples right before the feast of the Passover. Let's read what goes on there. John chapter 13, 1 through 20 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should not depart, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil had, uh, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with he, which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will after this. You will know it after this, Peter said to him. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, 
but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you are. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, what's going on here is that, you know, they're walking around in sandals. It's a dirt road. They're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're getting their feet filthy no matter whether they've just been bathed or not. And there was a tradition when you came into the home, you know, you, of course, took your sandals off and there was generally there a servant of the household. Uh, that, that washed your feet, which was an act of, of kindness and goodness. Matter of fact, it's listed three times in Scripture. Three times in Scripture is talking about this foot washing thing. The first one with Abraham when he sends his servant and he's looking for uh, uh, a wife or a son, and, uh, and she offers water so that they can wash their feet. It also is talked about when it talks about widows. If, if a widow has served people well, and it includes the washing of feet, then, then when she's older and over 60, the church needs to take care of her. So it's mentioned there. And then it's mentioned here with Jesus as he, as he models servant leadership. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus uh, called, called, uh, called all the disciples around and he, after, after John's mama had tried to get John a, a seat at the right hand of Jesus. And all the disciples were kind of perturbed about that. Jesus says this, you, now, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, but, but those, uh, those who are great exercise authority over them and they, 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 they lord over. Yet you shall not be like them, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be servant. And whoever desires to be first, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus is modeling servanthood. And what he's saying to you and me is, is I want you to do the same thing. I want you to be the one who, who takes the lowly, humble position. And I want you to do what needs to be done. I want you to show the world how to be a servant leader. Uh, and you do that with, with the, the, the different descriptions. You do that with tender mercies. You do that with kindness. You do that with humility. You do that with patience. You do that by bearing with one another. You do that for forgiving one another when they don't even deserve it. You do that because Christ did that first. He modeled how to be a servant leader. But where can you do that? 
Well, the first place you can do that is at home. You know, one of the things that we read in Isaiah was, you know, seek the Lord while he may be found. Well, right now, the Lord is helping families that are quarantined and, and uh, that we're, you know, we're still restricted. He's helping families teach their kids. They're, 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 I can't put enough emphasis on the fact that, that the plumb line of God is in his hand and he's, he's looking at each one of us as men, as family heads, mothers as family heads. And he's saying, how well are you teaching your children uh, how to follow Christ? Well, one of the things that we've got to know is it's not what we say, it's what we do. It's how we respond. It's how, how many times do our children see tender mercies? How many times do our kids see kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering and us forgiving people when they don't even deserve to be forgiving? Do, do, or do they see judgment and they see sarcasm? Do they see... Do they see accusation? Do they see anger? Do they see disappointment? Do they see this, this absence of hope in our life that God can actually do something to bring reconciliation and health to a situation? Or do they see that we place our hope in Christ and we trust in his word? And so we can do that in our families. We can also do that in our church families. You know, I was, I was talking to uh, Anna Strelowski, who's leading our area kids and and uh, and Ari Kiss Jr. currently, um, and she was just saying our volunteer list is is way too female heavy, and and we really need men to step up to the plate and help these ladies teach our children. And there's a place of servanthood. You might th you might think to yourself, well, that's a low place. Well, that's exactly what Jesus said do. It's not a low place, by the way. It is an incredibly high place. It's, a, it's an amazing place. But even if your attitude needs to be adjusted with that, Jesus' call to you is to take that, that position, and as you do, that, that there's going to be blessing comes. You're going you're to show what leadership really looks like. We can also do it in the workplace. We can model how to be a Christian in the workplace, and that is modeling the after attributes of the father we can kill with kindness we we can forgive the unforgivable we can let meekness rule in our hearts and display power under control we have a chance as the church to do it differently we have the chance as the church the unified church of jesus christ to actually carry out the attributes of god you know there's no other system there's no systemic approach that's going to change the environment that we live in today that has the ability to change the environment that we live in today like obedience to the word of God you know like the word kindness it says kindness was sent to bring us to repentance unless we repent kindness of God was ineffective unless we actually do what we was sent for it to do it is ineffective the church can be effective in this culture the church can can bring change 
by emulating the attributes of the Father. Let's pray. Father, help us today as your spirit comes upon us. As we heard Ashley singing, we heard her heart and we heard her looking to you and depending on you. And as an act of worship, God, and as, a, as, as we place our faith and our hope in your word, if we'll obey your word, if we'll do what your word says do, if we'll understand that it's not empty words, it's not just acknowledging Jesus, it's being obedient, it is, it is repenting. Your kindness was sent so that we would repent and adapt your characteristics so that the world could be healed. Jesus, I pray right now that we understand that empty words and empty actions cannot accomplish kingdom. And that every word you used to describe the church was an action verb. And that God, that we actually have to do the word to bring help. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by your spirit in obedience to your way. Thank you for healing our nation through the church because the church is representing you well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.